Hello and welcome to Switch It, where if anything we sometimes don't go hard enough. Yes, it's been another high-octane week in the world of English cricket, as the Test team went down in flames against South Africa at Lords, and the 100 raced towards its inevitable conclusion, by which I mean the knockout stages rather than the end of civilization as we know it. Perhaps England losing inside three days was part of the Brendan McCullum master plan to give everyone a chance to refresh their batteries. Here for a good time, not a long time is certainly a mantra that suits the pod. And joining me this week with express orders to play their shots, uh, ESPN Quick Info UK editor Andrew Miller and assistant editor Matt Roller. Hello to you both. Um, first things first, Miller, as the oracle who gave us the term in the first place, is this the end of Basball? Absolutely not. It's just, it's just not, no, no, nobody's paying attention to the small print of Basball. Basically, it's written through, written through the DNA of Basball that failure is is basically is priced in to what they're setting out to achieve. I mean, you know, look, let's 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 start again. Look, whether whether or not Basball exists, because let's face it, it doesn't exist unless you keep talking about it. And so, let's for the sake of argument accept that it does exist. And Basball is a thing. And for that argument, you need to accept that England went to a, went to the went to the wall at the end of the Ashes and thought, right, we cannot get any worse playing normal cricket here. Let's do something completely radical. Let's appoint Brandon McCullum, a guy who was renowned for tonking the ball all over the place, has never coached a Red Bull team in his life. What do we expect? Are we expecting people to put them to play normally? No, we're not. So we're expecting them to play differently to how they have done so previously. Therefore. Let's give it a term. Let's call it Basball for the sake of argument. And clearly it's causing argument. So <laughs> the logic behind what England have achieved so far is it is better to go hard and risk defeat in pursuit of a victory that would have been unlikely previously. And in, so in, in doing so, you're going to go too hard sometimes. I mean, that was basically what, what they were calling for uh, during that run of four victories. Let's go even harder. Let's see how far we can go before... Everything crashes and burns, and lo and behold, they went. Well, actually, Brendan McCullum's argument didn't go hard enough in uh, uh, Lords, but they came up against some limits to what they can achieve with just positive mental attitude. But that does not, in any stretch of the imagination, mean this is the end of Basball, if Basball is a thing. It is not the end of the project of England trying to be proactive and blazing, blazing their way out of trouble, and nor should it be. If England had carried on playing the normal, dull, defeatist cricket they, that had that had earned them seven, 17 defeats, out of, one win out of 17 or whatever it was in the previous 18 months, what would we have got at Lords? We would probably have been a, been in a situation where they had been asked to bat first against a fearsome attack. Let's, let's not do South Africa any disservice here. They have got a monstrous attack, which has covers pretty much all bases, including a sky-snagging left armour. I mean, it's terrifying. Um, they would probably have tried to play cautiously, defend the defendable balls, nick the ones with their name on it. They'd have probably batted for 50 overs instead of 37 and got out for, oh, I don't know, let's give them 190 instead of 160. We'd have been all out, we lost by lost by eight wickets, say, on day four, instead of losing by an innings on day three. What difference would it have made, except for the whole period that England were still basballing their way out of trouble, or seeming to, no one would have given them a prayer. You know, that period when when Broad, even Stuart Broad, comes in and, and day hawks his way to to a brief flurry of, of entertainment, briefly, briefly can sense around Lords. Is this the moment? Is this the moment England are fighting back? There's still optimism. 
there was no optimism previously, and therefore to, to write it off after one defeat completely misses the point of what's going on here. They'll keep they'll keep doing this, they'll keep losing, and with any luck, every now and again, they'll win gloriously like they have done previously this summer. There we go. Uh, tablets of stone from the mount. Uh, Basball is here to stay. Um Matt, Matt, I think you were you were you were skiving from cricket for for the weekend, but uh, presumably uh, you benefited from only having to sneakily check on the hundred scores uh, later in the day. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think Miller's point is entirely right as well. I think Badpool was actually, it, it, I think it's almost got to the point a bit like in in um, football when when during a major tournament uh, people start saying it's coming home about an England's men's team where there was this sort of built-in idea of it being arrogant somehow, that there was this like there was this thing and there was this label attached to a concept. Um, but actually, if you, if you listen to what England said throughout that run of four wins earlier in the summer, everything, you know, obviously there are, there are a few slightly, possibly slightly hubristic statements about, oh, we're getting on even harder, oh, let's keep pushing the line. But every single game, I mean, particularly that one, at the, the, the test at Headingley, where England were, what, 53 for six, I want to say? Um, in their first innings, that that game was the one where everyone coming up to face the press was saying, "Look, guys, this is going to happen. There are going to be fifty for six days." Um, it just so happened that at, at that time, um, Johnny Bairstow played another brilliant innings, and Jamie Overton got some runs from number eight or nine on debut. Um, but actually, I think you know the, the warning signs have always been there, and the the fact that there are warning signs built in and all this sort of thing is what makes the has is what has made this so much more gripping as a summer of test cricket than any since you know 2019 i suppose is the most recent one but in in terms of a narrative that forms throughout several different tourists um for a long time i think um much further back than that and also i think this that sort of tendency with results to look at um what's happened last week and forget what's happened before but if if you'd offered England four wins out of seven against the opponents they were playing at the start of the summer I think most people would have said absolutely brilliant so this series in some sense is kind of a free hit heading into um what will probably be a much tougher winter in, in Pakistan and New Zealand and um you know basketball being the the greatest uh the great Brexit export but uh yeah we'll we'll see see how we see how we get on but um yeah I, I don't know I think it, there's, a, there's a tendency in England to overreact to defeats and um praise victories too much and um but four wins from five is still a very strong effort from Stokes and McCullum and uh yeah I, I don't think they'll suddenly uh decide and, and you know they've, they've openly said they won't but I don't think they'll suddenly decide to become a sort of Burns Sibley Silverwood era team uh, overnight. No, well, let's hope not. Um, <laughs> let's let's get into some of the details then, I suppose. Um, even if uh, England are all about vibes, like Wiley Coyote piling up the TNT and then striking a match, there was a sort of inevitability about what happened at Lords. Inserted under cloudy skies, they were bundled out for 165 in just 45 overs before South Africa batted for twice as long and scored roughly twice as many, then unleashed their fast bowlers uh, once again. Kind of Miller, as we've as we've uh, touched on, England have kind of said throughout that they were expecting. Um, this to happen at some stage should we therefore just chalk it up and move on to Old Trafford or, or you know do we need to um, be a bit of a, a downer I suppose and, and, and get into where uh, they went wrong uh, on this occasion 
I, I think, to be honest, a bit of both. I mean, certainly the message coming out of England is we look forward, not back. We're not going to overanalyze what went wrong. And I think that's right from their point of view. I think it's the right thing to do. But equally, you know, I, I liken this to the way that Owen Morgan went about uh, building the, the, the confidence into his white ball team. You know, you have your you have your setbacks publicly. You're, you're saying we're going forward. We're not not going to not going to give a jot about being twenty for six at Lords against in in a you know, the South Africa ODI, for instance. We're going to just plough on, but secretly and quietly, they'll they'll take stock and think how can we do this differently. But you know, most fundamentally, you you mentioned the Sibley Sibley Burns Silverwood era as the alternative history of England. Um, you know one that went wrong I mean you know the pandemic I think we've been over that a hundred times already potentially that was a big part in in undermining any hope of, of that particular project working but could it be and this is something that I, I bang on a, a fair bit about anyway but could it be that you know we're just reaching that tipping point we're, we're x number of years into the white ball revolution seven seven years since 2015 could it be that we've simply reached that point that it's not possible for England to go back? Can't put that genie back in the bottle. You know, you had Jeffrey Boycott. I think his column in the Telegraph was, you know, I'm playing with a straight bat. You know, what's wrong with technique? It's like, well, you know, fundamentally, Jeffrey, what is wrong with technique? Is technique is changing? Technique is is very much geared towards the, the sort of funky shots that Joe Root's not suddenly pulling out of his locker. Even the best technical batsman in English cricket now is is thinking, you know what, what white ball opportunities can I factor into my innings here to, to go faster, go harder? Could it be that the kids coming through are simply not equipped to bat with technique against Kagisa Rabada and Andrich Norkia bowling rockets? Could it be that actually, you know what, we've just got to, you know, score runs before we run out here, which again is a fundamental part of what England have tried to achieve. You know, batting at four, five and over instead of 2.3 and over means you you know you're getting, going to have twice as many runs by the time you run out of wickets and you know that that could actually be a you know even a day when you know say Bairstow and and Stokes for instance you know have a have a have a session you know a session when they get it right and you know suddenly that session is 150 runs to the good instead of you know a session when you get it right with no losing no wickets under the previous regime you may have ground out 55 runs and it doesn't take you doesn't take the game far enough forward to mitigate against those moments when the ball is just going to have your name on it because you know that that is that is the problem that England are reaching now with with this, especially the you know, balance, the checks and balances between red and white ball cricket are becoming more and more complicated. I'm sure we'll get into all the all the discussion about you know obviously England didn't come into into the test with with red ball practice you know, after after six weeks of white ball cricket. Uh, even South Africa getting tonked by an innings by basball, um, you know the, the, the B team basballers. But- uh, gave, them, gave them a lesson but you know that was actual vital red ball practice that south africa got england didn't you know the, the, these are these are the small sort of bits around the edges of of of, of what we're witnessing here that ultimately england's they've their only option really is to plow on in whatever direction it gets you know ben stokes has obviously been doing the media rounds uh, with, with his documentary coming out and you know he, he's been talking about you know, we look at the itinerary. Where's our break? How do we factor in a break in our endless cycle of cricket here? It's really not about technique now. It's about mindset. Everything is about mindset. It's a, you, you, you take your, take whatever good vibes you can find, and you know, you can you can mock the notion of taking vibes into a test match and hoping it's all going to go well. But fundamentally, that's what England have done, and they're still doing. And I, you know, given the insane itinerary and the 
sheer lack of opportunity to just to get in the nets and practice and do all the things that perhaps he might have been able to do back in the day when when there was less cricket being played. Um, yeah, just you know, double down on on vibes, double down on good good vibrations, and and take it forward. So yeah, to go back to the original point, no, they're not going to analyze it because they don't have time. They've got another test match starting in um, two days' time. Um, yeah, but it's a curious thing about uh, uh, preparation and um, uh, um, managing the schedules and formats, I suppose, isn't it? That um, we usually talk about cricketers having, you know, far too much on their plate. And, and here they've had a few weeks break and they clearly weren't playing enough cricket is, is the problem. Although uh, when you look at uh, South Africa's kind of first class preparations or the amount of first class cricket that players in the South Africa 11 have played this year, I think it's, you know, dwarfed by the amount of sort of championship and test match cricket that, that all of um, England have had uh, during this summer. So, um, and, and there were rounds of championship in the build-up to this series, but obviously Broad and Anderson, as we'll perhaps get into, didn't didn't play in those. Um, and fair enough at their age, I suppose. But, but Matt, we kind of um, have been preparing for, for some of this uh, throughout the the. the the tests that, uh, earlier in the summer, England were uh, set themselves up as a chasing side, you know, and this kind of the one day element um, again comes into it. The, the idea of, uh, you know, knowing your target and, and managing your resources accordingly. Obviously, England were not going to be able to bat second uh, in perpetuity uh, just because Ben Stokes and his um, management prefer it that way. Um, I mean, Dean Elgar won the toss and all signs pointed to having a bowl. He uh, made clear he was not in any way considering <laughs> England's strengths and, um, you know, uh, advertised um, preferences. But, um, yeah, stuck England in and we saw you know, straight away <laughs> the inherently different challenge of having to try and set the game up with the bat, um, particularly in swinging seeming conditions against uh Rabada, Eric Nokia and company. Yeah, I, I I well my interpretation of it was that I I think it was much more a case of South Africa, yeah, as as sort of Elgar alluded to, um much more a case of South Africa making the most out of some some good conditions and as Miller said at the start, having a, a genuinely really, really top class attack, um, which I think is probably the easiest thing to to I don't know, almost gloss over in this because, you know, in, in, in no sense do New Zealand and India have poor attacks. But I think if you look at how England's um, batted against both of those teams, there was quite a lot of, um, I don't know, I think there was a gen general idea that basketball was all this, you know, all that attacking vibes, whatever, cricket. I think there was, there, there has been some uh, some calculation in how they batted throughout the summer. So they quite often targeted weak bowlers. I think in the India test, the most recent one that springs to mind, they absolutely pumped um, Shardul Takur for pretty much the whole game. Uh, in the New Zealand series, Michael Bracewell, who's, who's actually done really well in um, one day cricket for New Zealand since then. Um, he says, yeah, the great day. summer. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's actually been, you know, a sort of weird breakout star at 31. But yeah, he, you know, he went at six and over across the test series. So he, he was you know, pretty ruthlessly targeted, which meant that people had to come back with uh, more spells. You look at how sort of false figures dropped off through test matches, um, yeah, especially at Headingley where he got that brilliant opening spell and then, um, you know, kept on having to go back to the well. They had those injuries throughout the series. There was a lot of calculation to it, basically. But then when 
firstly South Africa started really well, which meant that um, you know it was never going to be a, a a case of England putting huge number of miles into anyone's legs, but also the fact they have a, a top quality five man attack and they've clearly been they've clearly sort of become comfortable with um gambling on this balance of the team where they have um you know Jansen batted six, I think which needs about seven, but is you know, I think probably a test match number eight, but it's being backed as the number seven because of the fact it gives them a proper five man attack where even though Maharaj went the distance at Canterbury, he's clearly a pretty solid finger spinner at test level. Um, with a good record behind him. And then you have four very, very good quick bowlers um, all offering something slightly different. You have the sort of extreme pace of Nokia. You have the left arm angle of Janssen. You have Ngidi, who's probably the most, uh, I, I suppose, if there was a weak link, you would have suggested it was him, but then bowled brilliantly um, throughout that test. Um, and Rivaldo obviously has a, a stunning record and sort of combination of skill and pace. Um, so I think, to yeah, to, to sort of to try and, target any of those is very tough um, but I think it's something that England will probably try and do at various points in the series um, particularly if they can if if they can get into a position where maybe on a slightly flatter pitch or maybe the top order fires a bit more um, they can then actually target Maharaj rather than sort of having this you know betwixt and between situation especially that third inning when came on very early to Zach Crawley and uh, you know Crawley's mind just seems to be Pretty scrambled, as I'm sure we'll come on to, um, where, where, yeah, there was sort of an attempt to target him, but when you're LBW sweeping third ball of his spell or whatever, it's, it suddenly becomes a lot harder to, to smash that one out of the attack. Yeah, and, and I suppose um, a bit of a perfect storm in that the, the four uh, tests early in the summer were played, yeah, seemingly on flatter uh, mm. Less responsive pitches than than and with, um, the and with the Dukes, with the yeah. Dukes that was yeah it's a piece of plasticine rather than one that <laughs> stayed hard and actually uh, does something for the bowlers. So um, it all added up uh, to something of a challenge. And uh, Miller, we might as well stay with Zach Crawley as he sort of epitomizes um, you know he's he, he's right there in the eye of of the baseball storm. Um, how how much can you pump a, a man's tyres up uh, before he, uh, I don't know, explodes, becomes destabilised, goes off at a corner? Uh, I mean, he, he's not scoring any runs. He's um, averaging 16.4 from 10 innings this summer. Uh, England have uh, said it in various different ways, but it's all about the same thing, is that they're going to stick by him. He's a great player. He doesn't have to score hundreds. He doesn't have to score consistently. Um, they just want the occasional... Well, match-winning contribution, but that's a, a fairly um, subjective term, I suppose. It sounds as if, I mean, they haven't made any additions to the squad for Old Trafford. Uh, the spare batter is is Harry Brook, who's not an opener. Um, we, we don't know yet. We haven't really seen sort of basketball selections in terms of kind of just picking players on vibes rather than uh, what their what their record might be in, uh, in first-class cricket in that position. But... Um, it seems as if Crawley, you know, is going to have another test and maybe even play the whole summer and um, and maybe score no runs. And um, I mean, it, it's various people. I think Mark Butcher was talking about it on Sky Commentary, talking about the, the sort of duty of care and if it's doing him more harm than good. We, we are clearly in that situation where it's it's a bit of a worry to see him taking guard against this um, uh, very, very good South African attack. Yeah, I mean, you say we haven't had any basketball selections. I, I would argue he is the epitome of a basketball selection. <laughs> well, it's all well, vibes. Yeah. <laughs> it is all vibes <laughs> with Crawley. And, and you know, you're right. It, 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 it is a tipping point. You know, you're, 
with this whole project, call it what you like, with this whole project, there have got to be areas in which it's up for debate. You know, mm. I think that I think the overall direction of travel is is absolutely ineffable. You, you can't, you cannot stop what England are trying to achieve, even if you can stop them winning all the times we've discussed. But around the fringes, there are, there's got to be debate. There's got to be, you know, not least because of the the impact it's already having further down the food chain. You know, you, you talk about Stokes and, and McCullum wanting to inspire county cricketers to to play this way to get noticed. Well, we look at the, the England Lions game the other day. We look at, you know, what, what Ali Orr's done down at Sussex occasionally. We look at, uh, you know, guys lumping it left, right and centre with a with a view to saying, hello, look, I've, I've, I've taken notice. I'm doing what you're asking me to do. At some stage, you've got to say, OK, fine, you've, you've done what we've asked you to do. Come on, come on in. Welcome aboard to the baseball baseball bus. Um, so, yeah. At what point do you do you say to Zach Crawley, sorry, mate, vibes isn't going to cut it um, without undermining the overall vibey project? Uh, tough one, uh, and it's it, it is you know that's what the selectors are, are paid their money for. It's what Baz McCollum's paid his money for ultimately is is trying to pump the tires of guys make them feel 10 feet tall even when perhaps they're, they're not feeling it in my opinion and you know counts for little but in my opinion it probably is time to to just call a halt doesn't doesn't mean you have to say you're dead to us far from it mm. but you know go go away find some form you know i, I think i was a, a conversation on twitter recently don topley was reminiscing about graham gooch in, in 1987, an absolute horror trot. Everyone talks about 1989 being his horrible year, but he he just he just barely could hold a bat. He, you know, went away, and then I think he came back for the centenary bicentenary test and got an amazing hundred and that, that incredible run out and all the rest of it, and and turned the corner again and was back. You know that that kind kind of the similar sort of similar sort of scenario. You know, here's a guy who clearly everybody agrees is a cut above most openers in in the game uh, in the english game he's he, he's he's got time on his side he's got got age on his side he's got talent he's got technique something is not clicking he probably needs a break i, I don't i don't think there's any harm in in saying that yeah on this particular nub of an issue um england have got to try to find a way to do it differently that doesn't in any sense undermine the overall message that they're trying to trying to project from within the camp that stability and continuity is a vital part of 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 being confident and you know going out there having you know you can't you can't have a you can't have a fear of failure in this in this uh vibey setup and therefore you've got to be backing your guys absolutely to hilt saying you know what i know you haven't scored a run for spit all summer but i still back you you know it, it, it's kind of it's kind of written into the into the script really um, mm. tough one. I, I I think they've got to. You know, I think they do have to make a change, but it, it's, it needs to be needs to be gentle. My uh, my guess is that he'll play both of the next two tests, but for exactly those reasons, I think. Yeah. Uh, but people were talking about Ben folks as well, and they obviously he didn't have a great test at Lords. But I feel like it's been such a key tenant of this um, McCullum Stokes uh, side so far that I think um, I, I can see them making a change. For example, before they go to Pakistan in December, but. Um, it, it's a lot easier to then justify that and say sort of conditions-based selection or whatever. But I, I think especially when you look at the candidates to come in and the fact that almost all of them are middle-order players who then cause mm -hmm. a rejig and all this sort of thing, um, I really can't see it. Because I think actually that the, the key thing that we've, one of the very few actual selection decisions that we've seen happen um, in the McCullum era has been 
um, when folks went down with COVID, the fact that Billings was the the choice's keeper, and then after uh, when they had a test, uh, the India test, when folks hadn't recovered in time, rather than doing what a lot of people thought they might do, which was rejig things, give bare so the gloves when um, he'd obviously suddenly become settled. They went, no, we're going to keep everything as simple as possible. We want to cause as few changes as possible. We need to trust selection as much as we can. Um, it's too small a sample size to say that because something hasn't worked for this number of games or has worked for this number of games, we need to rip it all up. Um, so they kept Billings in as keeper and as number seven rather than doing quite an e- what would have been quite an easy fudge and putting Besto in as keeper, bringing Brook into the side for a debut, all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I my my guess is that Crawley will continue to be smothered with love. He kind of my um uh, for my birthday this year, my my girlfriend bought me a, a citrus tree. Um, and I, I basically was so nervous about um keeping it alive and looking good that I I watered it so much that I ended up killing it. And I basically feel like that's where Zach Crawley <laughs> is getting to, where in order to keep him looking good, uh, they're smothering him with love and suffocating him and drowning him. Um, and, and yeah, you're saying this is going to end up with him uh, overwatered in a pot uh, and 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 uh, on the compost heap, essentially. Yeah, something like that. If that's what <laughs> can we can we call that Canterbury? That is that um, belittling of the of the so-called lesser counties. I think when I was your age, Matt, my my then girlfriend bought me an air guitar. So make <laughs> of that what you will. <laughs> an air guitar sounds like a very cheap cheap um, well, uh, let's not get into uh, any further <laughs> horticultural um, issues. Uh, I'm not qualified, despite my surname. Um, on 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 uh, on selection, um, Bill. I mean, it, as Matt says, they have been they've been pretty, um, I'll say, rigid. But they've they've stuck with the players that um, they, they started the summer with pretty much this was the same team um that lined up against New Zealand uh, a couple of months ago um and uh there there hasn't been much cause to change a winning side um one of the things one of the features of, of winning four tests in a row that went was possibly less commented on because it was you know all the focus was on the the bazzing um with the bat um was that the you know the bowlers were taking 20 wickets every game and uh, Perhaps some of the limitations were shown up in in this match. Um, certainly, the the lack of variety compared to, to South Africa's attack. You had sort of um, three uh, frontline seamers who were all right arm, sort of eighty to eighty four miles an hour, um, and um, uh, and and obviously South Africa didn't um, didn't exactly uh, you know run away with it with the bat, but they there was solid contribution contributions throughout. Um, Saral Urvea was the was the only guy to pass fifty, but um, you know they they got a score on the board. Um, England maybe didn't have the you know didn't have the best of the bowling conditions um, in comparison to to that first morning, but um, there must be I I, I guess uh, uh, to um, heading up to Old Trafford a temptation to bring someone like Ollie Robinson back in, albeit that he doesn't really offer. Um, a huge point of difference from all the other guys because he's sort of 80 miles an hour right arm team, he's a bit taller than the others. Um, but that, you know, so assuming they don't make many changes for this second test, um, I mean, Stokes' Stokes's response at, at Lords was okay, we've lost this one, we'll just win the next two, we'll, you know, we'll have to win the series, uh, 2 1 then. Um, but uh, does a, a return for Ollie Robinson kind of look the most likely 
uh, change? And is, and is that kind of going to be the difference between um, winning and losing, perhaps? So, or if it's not the toss, at least. Well, yeah, the toss is going to be crucial. But, I mean, the, the the irony, the irony in all of this is that you know we, we talk about the the batting basketball being a batting thing, but ultimately, in my opinion, the difference between the teams at Lords was England were comprehensively outbowled. It wasn't so much about their batting. You know, they could conceivably have have scrapped um, something defendable. You know, that that lead briefly looked as though it was going to be fifty to seventy. As mm. opposed to you know one hundred and sixty, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was that was really a failure of the bowling. Um, not so much, you know, you know, the, the short ball tactics are one thing. I mean, to a degree, I, I've I've come round to the idea of sticking it up the tail end jumper the moment they come in. Insofar as we, we briefly saw it, at least until the umpires had a chat with uh, with Stokes, I think it looked like sort of a chat about intimidatory bowling, and so they suddenly had to pitch it up. But while the ball is whistling around the tail enders ears they've got a choice to make either they let it go and you know go nowhere but one twos and over or they swing across the line risk a top edge and get caught in the deep i mean it's you know it's it's a it's a very simple sort of binary option for the tail when when the ball's around your around your lug hole whereas when it's pitched up aiming for the you know the, the beautiful fourth stump seamer and nick off you know you, you're liable to have that front front dog planted and and lumped, which is pretty much what happened. England got basballed um, by by um, South Africa's middle order there. Um, but you know, ultimately, you mentioned the, the speed of the bowlers, and yeah, the difference really was you know South Africa's attack was averaging eighty seven miles per hour across their four seamers, which is just preposterously quick, uh, and England weren't. <laughs> and you know, again, going back to what we we're saying earlier about about the continuous selection, it's an absolute fundamental tenet of of what England are trying to achieve here is that when you're in the shirt and you're worthy of the shirt, you keep the shirt. That was what Stuart Broad was calling for at Sydney in his in his manifesto post-match speech uh, during the Ashes. It's pretty much what England have gone to now. Instead of trying to you know, rest and rotate extra life out of Anderson Broad, play them all the time, every every match, play them to their break. I've got absolutely no problem with that. The only problem is that on the evidence at Lords, Anderson Broad together reaching one of those moments where is is it sustainable to have those two as the attack leaders at this stage of the summer albeit they've had a bit of a break but you know they 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 looked a little bit off the pace as a pairing i think anderson still magnificent still just does what he does goes at two and over even though everyone's swinging everyone else everywhere possibly doesn't get the wickets he used to in the in the in the spate that he does albeit he got the important five for against india um but broad, I mean, you know, broad, amazing catch, joint highest wicket taker for England, lumped the ball everywhere uh, with the bat, but actually looked like the weak link. Ironically, um, it's a strange, strange dichotomy. Um, I would probably, to go to your point, I would probably say, yeah, it's time Stuart Broad needs to accept that perhaps he's not the man in possession of the shirt. Doesn't mean he's finished, but right this moment. If England need to make a change, it's probably Broad has to make way and let Robinson have a go. Um, I mean, you know, his his story this summer has been extraordinary. Um, you know, so many weird injuries and illnesses and, and mishaps and all the rest of it. And not to mention the the mental struggle that he doubtless had after being labelled a fatty. Um, but, you know, he's, he's he's come back, by all accounts, doing, doing the right thing. He's leaner, fitter, 
you know he's, he's, he's turned in, turned into a into a, a radiohead narrative but uh he's he probably is ready to to get back into the into the fray pick up where he left off um let's not forget after an incredible first 12 months in test cricket um i would probably go that route especially you know you mentioned you know the height that he has. Obviously, his his release point is is incredibly high, and that is probably the difference in the absence of the out and out quicks like Wood and Archer and all the other guys who 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 England would love to be able to call upon to fight fire with fire. Mm. The point, the best point of difference England have got is a guy whose release point is is, is skyscraper tall, sort of um you know just just providing that that little bit of subtlety in good areas mm. that um perhaps England were lacking from their other quicks. Uh, and he had a pretty good outing uh, for the Lions in the uh, Robinson. So there's uh, some some good news uh, to fall back on. Um, as for sort of <clears throat> the rest of the the series, Matt, I mean, obviously two 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 more tests to come. Um, we have we have the narrative now: bounce ball, bounce ball versus Baz ball. Um, South Africa. Uh, Dean Elgar was kind of very. Um, uh, you know, almost bombastic in his refusal to um, discuss what Basball meant, even though he was sort of repeatedly talking about uh, not talking about it. Um, although I suppose he was being asked questions, so that's not in his control. But he he talked about South Africa's own style, which is their style, and you know, much more um, deliberate and perhaps traditional approach. Um, I mean, they actually ended up scoring at the same rate through their innings as England did, and perhaps. Perhaps that's where uh, Brendan McCullum's kind of saying and didn't go hard enough um, is, uh, you know, um, borne out by that. Um, but, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they are clearly, um, you know, a very good unit now uh, under Elgar compared to, to the one, the team that England played a couple of years ago in South Africa. Um, they're on a very good run of form. They're top of the World Chess Championship. Um, you know, they are... The, the form team in this uh, in, in this format, um, there was something a, a, a bit poignant about what's happening. You know, a, a, another win at Lords for them on the, the same week that the um, the FTP came out, and and kind of the it became clear the the big reduction in Test cricket that South Africa um, are going to play. So, um, I mean, yeah, the, the, this this series um, might well help. Them qualify for the World Test Championship final, um, and it and it's also going to be you know a bit of a, a marker for where their Test cricket goes because they're not going to play another I think another uh, three Test series for uh, a few years after this. Yeah, it's a. It, I, I think South Africa is sort of rapidly becoming one of the sort of most interesting case studies, I guess, as a sort of non-big three team, and sort of mm. it'll, it'll be really interesting to see sort of where we. Um, consider them to be in say five years time and whether they have become something that looks a bit like New Zealand or West Indies or Pakistan or where they are because they've sort of always operated in this um, sort of space I suppose outside of the big three but still as a, a major nation um, and and yeah as you say with this sort of um, real dearth of um, multi-game series coming up and and the sort of openness with which they've prioritized their fi- the, the financial um security of the sport at home by prioritizing the, the um csa t20 league which is launching next year they're just in this really interesting spot where you're sort of trying to yeah trying to pin down exactly what they're going to be but um yeah i mean it, w- it would be 
fantastic i think for them to be in the world test championship final next year and i think um in terms of if you were asking for uh if you're asking most most cricket fans i think actually outside of the most partisan and patriotic and um sort of tub thumping i think most people would have said that as a as a success i think a lot of people would have liked new zealand winning the first world test championship and i think a lot of people would be looking at the table now and thinking if you could get something like a south africa v pakistan final next year um and sort of stick it to the big three i think that would be quite a um i think it would be quite a mouth-watering prospect especially when you consider the yeah the fast bowling that would then be um pitted mm-hmm. up against each other if that came to pass um obviously it's a decent way off and you know only one game into a three-match series all that sort of thing but um yeah i really do think it's um it, it is it, as you say it's sort of quite a quite a poignant um moment at laws when you sort of see rivada walking off and scribbling his uh sort of mimicking scribbling his name on the honors board um get me up there sort of thing where you realize there's this yeah and mate it's it, i suppose the obviously two test series have their drawbacks and that you sort of struggle for narrative but maybe there is a sort of optimistic view which is that if south africa do only play six or seven tests a year then they will actually become uh keep things that players clear their schedule for and that there's no clash with series like the ipl like there have been where um, you know, test cricket at times, if you think of that series that played against Bangladesh earlier this year, has, has very much been on the back burner and has been a sort of devalued secondary thing for them. So if they can get it into a position where they have a handful of tests a year and they become big marquee events again, maybe there's a way in which that's actually good for the health of the game. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm spitballing a bit here, but I think the, the trajectory of South African cricket is very much unclear and I think it will probably be quite a good sort of case study as to... Um, the global game over the next four or five years. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure um, Dean Elgar will be putting all that to the back of his mind when uh, focusing on trying to secure a series win over the next couple of weeks. Um, there is some other cricket going on, of course, as always. Uh, so so poultry were the batting returns in, in the test, um, uh, at least as far as England concerned, that uh, there were... Uh, there have been 10 scores in this year's men's 100 that eclipsed their first innings, 165. Um, at least with the 100, no matter the result, English cricket is always the winner. Or at least that's <laughs> that's what that's what it says on my ECB endorsed notes. Um, we're almost three quarters of the way through the group stage um, of the men's tournament. Anyway, the, the women's uh, catching up a bit after the Commonwealth Games. Um, Matt, how, how would you assess the competition so far? Uh, it's a very, very tough question. Um, very open-ended, and it's difficult as well to try and be wide lens when you're sort of watching a, a game or two games <laughs> every day. Um, I think the interesting thing you said about English cricket being the winner, I think it has been notable this year, um, the extent to which even though the list of overseas players in the men's comp has been sort of, I, I would say, significantly stronger than it was last year on paper at least you know people like um Andre Russell, Kieran Pollard, like Maxwell he didn't come the first year. I think if you look at actually the the um star performers, I would say the vast majority are English. If you look at the list of run scorers, the top seven or eight are all English. Um a lot of them are sort of um people like Paul Saltz and David Milan and Will Jacks who are pushing for places in the World Cup later this year. Um obviously Alex Hales as well that's probably a, a slightly different kettle of fish altogether. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel as though that the the sort of the English cricket has actually thrived to a decent extent in the hundred in the men's competition in terms of looking at who has done well. 
Um, I would say it, it's still such a difficult competition to, to um, sort of offer a, an assessment of in that sense because of the fact that um, it, so much of the, the sort of debate, I suppose, around the 100 over the past, you know, five years, I guess, even before it was the 100 when it was a sort of new T20 comp or whatever, yeah. ha has been around the sort of whether it's necessary. And I feel like what, what hasn't necessarily been engaged with that much is the fact that it is now, you know, it's locked in and as part of the new TV deal into what, 2028, 20, I think. Um, so it, it, you know, it, much as I completely understand the, the emotion on um, both sides, and I think particularly from the sort of traditionalist fan point of view of defending the county game, all this sort of thing, making sure players are prepared for test series. I think that the hundred is. I think you need to approach any discussion about it from the principle that it is locked in. Um, it, it is here, and that's a that, that's a fact of life. It's a bit, you know, people. It feels a bit like, uh, you know, it's constantly been compared to Brexit for how many years. And I think, you know, you're finally <laughs> approaching a situation in that debate where no one is saying, um, you know, the UK should rejoin the EU immediately, or very few people are. And a lot of people are sort of political parties, at least, are trying to work out what the next path is. And I think that's sort of where, the gate, where cricket in England needs to head um, is accepting that whether or not people like the reasons for his introduction, the tournament is here and is not going to go anywhere, no matter how much noise they make. Um, and, and, you know, Andrew Strauss has said exactly the same thing. So I think the sort of, um, I think the ECB will look at this season and, and think it's been a, a triumph. I'm sure they'll happily tell everyone that, but, um, you know, I, I think ticket sales were, were pretty good. They were stronger than year one. Basically, at the start of the competition, they sold about as many tickets for this year as they did for the whole of last season. And obviously, they've sold tickets through the thing. Uh, my experience has been that at certain venues, it works really, really well. I um, went to Edge Baston and watched my first 100 games there at the start of last week and thought that was you know brilliant. It really seemed to to work in a way that the Blast hasn't necessarily there. Um, the Oval was always good for short-form cricket, be it Blast or 100. Um, at Cardiff last night, scheduling that game on a Monday night, which happened to be between the West two teams in the competition this season. And, you know, it rained. It was a Monday. There was a big match in the Premier League that it clashed with. That was never going to work. And it didn't really work. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like um, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to assess. I think that the, the crowds have been pretty good. Um, whether they've been good enough to justify a marketing outlay, who knows? Um, but I think basically my impression is that the competition is getting to a point where it's now established in the summer. Um, and um, I, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, Ramona's yeah. need to pipe down is what you say. <laughs> Something like um, that. I didn't really think that was where that answer was going when I started it. But um, yeah, there is no people to vote, so just just get on with it. Yeah, 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 Difficult second season is is probably a misnomer where the hundred's concerned because obviously the first season was a difficult first season. This gestation was difficult. Everything's been difficult about the hundred. Nothing, nothing has been simple about where we're at. But it does feel as though the discourse has has got even worse this summer. Um, not least because of the timing of the FTP announcements and the, and the implications therein. And that that's the thing that bugs me about about this whole thing. It's like we. I think everybody who 
understands understands cricket and the finances of cricket and the politics of cricket realizes that you know the the game is moving to a different beat india is the biggest market white ball cricket is the biggest most dominant form of the game we all get that we all understand that but you know you look at the way that the schedule has been been set up to provide these you know clear three week window for the 100 henceforth no ashes test in august all the rest of it all these things that that push the everything that people love about the game to the margins. I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like George Lavelle, but you know, the, the, you know, the, there's a there's a there's a fundamental grain of truth to everything he's ever said about about the about the the issues that the hundred springs up in it in its in its creation. But you you the other thing that just bugs me is that did it need to be the ECB being the sort of first to 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 break ranks essentially? You know. Could it have been a case that you make a virtue of what is good in the game and use use English cricket as a as a cornerstone of of what people actually value in the in the traditions of the game, rather than being the first to say, you know what, I reckon in a few years' time, Pakistan, West Indies, Australia, Sri Lanka, sorry, not Australia, South Africa, Sri Lanka, etc., are going to be unworkable opponents. They, 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 we're simply going to beat them too easily, or they're not going to be viable. Not going to bring the finances in. Whoops! Let's let's find something else. Let's 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 create a whole new product that that doesn't require us to have to invite overseas teams into the country. You know, the very the very act of doing that, and this again goes back to the anger I think that came out of them bailing out of their commitments to Pakistan last year. You know, during the pandemic, it was shown that, you know what, we need to get our mates, West Indies and Pakistan over here, even Ireland, get them over here. We've got to fill the stadiums, we've got to do, do the right thing to keep the game alive. And then you're the first to break ranks and say, you know what, the game's dead. We're going to we're going to use the height of our summer to play our own brand of cricket and bring up all our own English cricketers. They're going to be English cricketers at the top of the top of the table. You know, the, the best batsmen in the world are all going to be English. Hurrah. It's like, is this really is this really what we want? Now at the moment, my backdrop is I'm down in Dorset at the moment. I'm 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 down with my parents. And you know, there's no question that, that my parents are, are quite a quite a long way removed from the uh the new audience that uh, that English cricket is trying to attract. They're not even massive, massive, massive cricket fans, but my dad in particular, he's he's got advanced stage Parkinson's, not to not to go into into too much detail of that, but fundamentally He's bedbound. He listens to a lot of radio, watches a lot of telly. He likes the rhythms of things that he recognises. So, you know, this summer, for instance, you know, test matches, he loves having a test match on the background because of the noise, the burble, the familiarities, the athletics. We had obviously had a three three consecutive athletics championships. So, you know, the, the noise of, of a 100 metres race, the, the familiarities. Cricket has problem scheduling. I think athletics is, <laughs> yeah, is on something else. else. <laughs> but, you know, he's, you know, genuinely, he's to- he, you have the 100 on, he doesn't recognise it. He does not know what he's listening to. It, it it just does not sound like cricket that he he is he's known. Um, that's just a fact. Whether that is a a fact that is of any relevance to anyone at all is up for debate. But the point is, it's not it's not cricket in the way that people who love cricket recognise it, and it's not trying to build many bridges back to people who recognize it for what it is it's still it's still very much about yeah we're going forward with this because this is the only solution because you know life it's like well it didn't have to be like this there's there there was no obligation for ecb which you know not so long ago had an awful lot of reserves an awful lot of clout did not have to be the first to say you know what let's just abandon everything that we hold dear about 
the game that most of our fans hold dear, and and in in so doing, encourage a scenario where suddenly in the next next day, because you know the hundred has ripped up all the regulations about five ball overs and five, six ball overs, five ball sets, or whatever you want to call them, and you know let's bat and bowl from two ends, you end up with an abomination like the sixty, you know, which is just, which is just nonsense, nonsense squared, and then you know <laughs> all these new leagues popping up, in, encouraged and empowered by the very fact that England, you know, the, the original originators of, 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 of cricket as we know it has been the first to break ranks and you know the one, just a final point of this all the all the london spirit headshots all the all these all these you know whatever who are they tyrrells aren't they or pop chips i can't remember but tyrrell tyrrells tyrrells standing proudly between portraits of of, of, of ancient cricketers in the long room it's like, <laughs> do do you value do you value where you're standing or are you trying to rip it all up and say, you know what, we don't value any of the traditions of the game? You can't have it both ways. And there's an awful lot of attempt to have it have it both ways that, that I don't think is working yet. Um, I don't know. I'm sure it'll work out in the end. It'll have to work out in the end because <laughs> well, the game wins. But you can't deny <laughs> that people are, are within their rights to feel deeply aggrieved with, with the, the direction of travel. I think um, is is Lords not the the spiritual home of match fixing? The pavilion built on you know illegal illegal blood money. Oh yeah, money, we'll sell, sell it all off for two point five billion and, and build build a build an indoor indoor swimming pool down in down in, in Dulwich. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. great idea. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I, I I think there's a lot. Of, I think there's a lot of truth in all that. I think I, I guess one other possible response is that well, I take the point about format. I guess the ECB would say firstly, you know, they're effectively following suit ten years on from what Cricket Australia did with the Big Bash um, in terms of launching a new product that's all about cities rather than states and gets rid of the traditions of the game and obviously very different landscapes. Um, but I suppose also, one of, you know, one of the reasons that uh, for the format was the the sort of inherent um, conservatism, small c, of uh, of the counties and, and forcing the, the blast to be protected and stand alone in a different way. So I suppose... I, I feel like there were so many different forces, as well as the the prevailing, you know, market conditions and all the sort of the economic spiel uh, that drove them towards what has ended up being the hundred. That, um, yeah, I think that's what they've ended up with. But yeah, I, I obviously take the point that it's it's still going to continue to split opinion and, and probably rightly so. And um, yeah, I think I think one of the things that it does need to do definitely, and I, I think. Um, I, I spoke to Stuart Kane, the uh, Warwickshire chief executive, when he was at when I was up at Edgebaston, and he was saying that he he felt as though the the key thing that the ECB needs to do forward with the messaging for it at least is to um, sort of create a much bigger picture around the game as a whole rather than it being these sort of standalone exhibitions. So he was giving the example of Will Smead, and I know there was sort of a lot of um, this sort of online discourse around Will Smead when he scored the first hundred of the hundred, um, where it was sort of framed as him being Birmingham Phoenix is well Smead. Exactly. <laughs> so he was a sort of local Brummy boy. And you know, he said Smead had said himself, you know, Somerset obviously is where I've developed that up in the academy since I was a, a boy and all this stuff. And then Kane was saying the same. He was saying, well, you know, Jake Lintop was sort of hailed as this breakout star of the hundred last year, but he wouldn't have had that platform but for the fact that he's um, you know, been spotted by Warwickshire as someone who was outside of the system and they'd offered him his first contracts and all this sort of thing and said exactly the same as Smead, you know, that Birmingham Phoenix aren't trying to claim him, but what needs to be um, made much more clear than it has been is this overall picture of, um, you know, the, the cricket family. I think he called it sort of nurturing him and giving him opportunities mm. along the way and all the family that have been into that. And I suppose it's difficult to do that in 
you know, especially in a competition that so much of it is made for broadcast, um, it, you know, you are relying a lot on um, a sort of depth of knowledge about every single player in the competition. If everyone, if every time someone springs up, then, you, you know, you need to be crediting who their under nines coach was or whatever. But I, I do very much take the overall point that there needs to be this inter, there needs to be a sort of slightly deeper relationship between, um, you know, the 100 attraction new fans and then they're, they're there for three or four weeks and then what do they do now? Um, there needs to be this sort of use of the platform to then try and get people in, involved in the game as a, a, as a whole, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that that comes back to the you know the the, the toxic language that was used in creating the hundred and the, and and the, and the the divisions that the ECB, frankly, fostered to just drive yeah. it through. That that is that is the problem. That's the problem. None of that has been resolved. Whether or not you agree, you know. I've said before, I was I was I was a proponent of the original Bradshaw Stewart plan back in the day in two thousand eight, right at the start of this, when you know when 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 the ECB wasn't chasing its tail, that was trashed back in the day. This has been driven through over the protestations that probably led to the original one being trashed. So you know, no one you know the counties aren't aren't blameless in any of this. That you know the, the the desire to to avoid reform meant that they got reform slapped on slapped around their chops but you know as, as you say Mitchell Stanley another another case in point you know yeah. there's, there's a lank, lanky kid lanky kid has appeared from nowhere oh no he hasn't he's come out of Worcestershire you know <laughs> you know these, these guys these guys do have a, a heritage that goes mm. goes down into grassroots and I think I mentioned in a previous pod, you know, Tom, Tom Harrison describing the the forty one forty one constituent parts of the of the ECB as as a delivery centres or something, you know, as opposed to actually being you know, <laughs> counties in their own right. So, yeah, we'll deliver the talent, we'll part, we'll pipeline the talent to the top, and we'll squirt it out yeah. like, like like dollops of cream on top of a nice big cake. Um, it's this is it, uh, it's the wrong of... messaging. Is it, this is kind of a question that the 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 the, the global T Twenty circuit is is going to be grappling with at some stage because obviously if you have a um, a, a tournament in every almost every window, I mean there are no windows. It is just one uh, year round carnival of of six hitting um, with players moving from uh, you know franchise uh, to franchise or the same franchise to different com- competitions or even as seems to be set to happen over this winter uh, being flown back and forth between South Africa and the UAE um, but obviously none of these teams really develop their own ta- talent or, or perhaps with the exception of the I- IPL uh, franchises um, so you know obviously there has to be some uh, mechanism to get players into the system uh, lower down whether it's counties or or states or, or whatever um, on that on that note it is interesting actually because it, it reminds me i remember back in the day um that there was i don't know if you recall this back in about 2010 uh, the original royals franchise mm, was yeah, yeah it was, yeah. It, was uh, it was a, a weird link up between jaipur melbourne cape town trinidad and hampshire and so yes. they were all randomly loosely affiliated through the royals branding uh, amazingly, mainly through Shane Warne branding, frankly, and Shane Warne, yeah. Hampshire, and Melbourne, and and um, and Jaipur, obviously Rajasthan were, were as as was uh, that was that was the sort of common common sort of link back then. It went nowhere. It was it was it was a nice little sort of twin town scheme that that sounded fun for a, for a, for a few days and then died a death. But but it's it's back essentially with with what's going on in South Africa and going back you know going back to this. Uh, the original point about South Africa making making a window for for this franchise. It's sort of they basically said, you know what, in you come the IPL. 
help yourselves to to our scheduling. Give your largesse to to our Cape Town Super Kings or whatever, whichever franchise it is. I can't, I, I'm I'm not up to speed yet, but the logic is that's where we're headed. Uh, and I mean, if that provides context, so be it. You know, I can, I I I'm not completely averse to to the idea that that there's change. I think the most important thing is there's there there is. Mm, we move on from the complete morass of nonsense that that uh, you're skipping from one format to the next, and nothing makes sense anymore. If if we end up with a situation where the where the global game is turned on its head, and suddenly you you're more like the Premier League, where you know playing for Manchester United and Liverpool is your bread and butter, and then every every year year or two years you end up playing in a World Cup or a European Championship, and suddenly you're playing for England and and Spain and whoever else is. If that's the way it's going to go, I can live with that. It's just this, 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 this middle ground at the moment, where you know we're we're hastening towards a, a, a an end game that doesn't make sense to to anyone who 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 would who would actually like to be invested in the journey to that end game. That that I think is 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 the concern um, that that we're not really much clearer to, towards um, to finding out. Too much talking about customs unions. Um... <laughs> There, we perhaps we can briefly uh, finish on something that's a little less divisive, and that's the women's hundred. Um, Matt, I mean, uh, I think it's again re, uh, uh, the sense from last year emphasized again that, it, that this is unequivocally a good thing for the game. Um, I mean, we've seen so far, I think, and you can correct me here, record attendances for women's games at each of the grounds, or you know, breaking the previous highest attendance. Um, which is, you know, obviously uh, a sign of uh, things getting better than, than they were last year. We had quite quite a few um, record uh, records on the pitch as well. I mean, record run chases. Uh, I think 160 odd the other day. Northern Superchargers knocked off, um, and uh, and and also there that the sort of standard of OCs player has, has clearly been a, a notch up from last year when there were so many many restrictions. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we've got time to go into David Milan's improved approach to starting an innings, but, <laughs> but, uh, which obviously we're all very happy about as well. But but the, um, the women's hundred um, going from strength to strength to strength. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I suppose the um, I was chatting to Susie Bates yesterday, who's been captaining over the Minsples, um, and I think that she said a couple of things that sort of summed up the direction of travel quite nicely. I think firstly, um, I mean, the fact that she's playing at all is quite a um, I think she was perhaps relatively surprised by herself because she went she went into the season as one of um, four overseas players at Oval Invincibles uh, competing for three spots, the others being uh, Shabna, Miss Mayo, Marizan Kappens and Avon Nierka, who were the three that they used last year um, and was, yeah, basically resigned to the prospect of spending the season on the bench, which is a very unusual situation in women's cricket because generally squads have been sort of made up of um, you know, if you have two overseas sports, you sign two overseas players or something like that. Whereas now it's sort of heading into a situation that I suppose we're probably used to from the men's IPL, but not a huge number of other leagues where you have, you know, really quality overseas players sitting on the bench. So it's quite a, a sort of interesting dynamic for that, for um, sort of leading women's players to get used yeah. to. Not um, entirely to to the liking of all of the uh, well, yeah. over the players, it seems. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, apparently, by all accounts, Melanieko sort of got on with it, um, it, it after uh, taking a sort of surprise drop at the start of the tournament. Um, but yeah, and then she said the other thing, which was that basically during the first game when the Oval sort of um, Oval versus Northern Superchargers took took the prime prime spot um, of the double header. 
um, she said she was sort of stood on the balcony with two of the year olds in their team um, and, and was basically thinking to herself, she, she was looking out at a, a you know, 20, 20 odd thousand crowd at the Oval um, and thinking, you know, I'm 34 and pretty, it's taken me into my 30s to get to a point where I'm playing in front of packed stadiums. Um, these two are 17, just starting out, um, just, just like what, what an amazing time for those two to be coming into the women's game. Um, with that, you know, with a 10, 15, 20 year career ahead of them to be at a position where unlike what it was for Bezos' generation, they're already playing in front of huge crowds and have that, um, I suppose, that feeling that they're sort of inspiring people and connecting with people in a way that um, was probably pretty tough when you're playing at a, at a pretty small sort of outground or something like that. So I think, um, yeah, I think it's, I, I think that one of the, one of the, to sort of get back to the culture wars um because we obviously can't stray too far away from them ever that's always always been one of the things that's been very difficult to argue i think is that that you know that the women's the hundred has done such good things for the women's game that i think it's very difficult to say that um any sort of alternative to it basically you know people say if you you know you'd invest in the kia super league or something like that but um by hook or by crook because obviously double headers were sort of a happy accident um, it has been transformational for the women's game in, in England, uh, particularly. And I think, um, you know, hopefully the, the sort of knock-on effects for the England women's team will, will um, become clear in time. And sort of the, that um, gap that sort of seems to be ever widening between Australia and the rest of the field will um, start to close when, uh, when you know, the, the effects of the women's hundred have um had time to manifest themselves and ditto with the women's RPL, which is finally due to launch really next year, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is ironic though, isn't it? I mean, I mean, everything you said, I completely, completely concur. It's, it, it's been, it's been game changing. It's brilliant. There's absolutely no downside to the, the notion that the women's game is getting, getting an equal, equal footing. But as you say, it was a happy accident. It wasn't meant to be. The women were meant to be down the road in Worcester and Derby and Hove and, <laughs> and Chelmsford and, you know, very much the, the B-listers in all of this. And, you know, it may have been a success. It probably wouldn't have been the success we're witnessing. And, you know, after all the planning that went into creating the 100, it, it came down to an accident giving <laughs> the women the leg up required. I mean, that, that kind of sums it up for me. But on just on that note, Here's a here's here's a notion. Here's a notion. I'm just just I've been mulling this. If we want to try to re revive, bring kids through to revive the notion of Test cricket, multi-format cricket, and given that we're now pretty much enmeshed in the notion of double headers, what 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 do we say to the notion of a Test match hundred with the women and the men playing alternate innings? across an entire day i'm just putting it out there as an idea you know if you want to if you want to create a sense that this is all about one team you take the good news of the women growing take the men that's probably not the greatest news because no one no one's really buying into the same way but you know you say you win the toss say i don't know it's it's trent rockets win the toss do do you bowl first with the women because you've got Catherine Brunt and Nat Siver to lead the line, or do you bat last with the men because you got David Milan and uh, and Alex Hales to tonk it? Do you do you make a virtue of the fact that some some of your one side of your of your game is stronger than the other? Therefore, if the men win by fifty runs, say, is that going to be enough for the women to to make up the difference if they're if they're chasing? I mean, we saw this in in the in the in the athletics. Going back to the athletics, obviously, 
the introduction of, of multi-format uh, relays, which I, I think are brilliant. We saw it in the in Paralympics as well. With the idea that you know, you know you can have you can have seemingly running away with it, but it's going to come back because you know the the, the you know the, your strengths and weaknesses are going to match up at some stage. I don't know. I'm I'm more enthusiastic about that as a, as, <laughs> as a future notion than than than, than much of the men's hundred. That's for sure. Um, well, they, I know, I'll, they, leave, I'll leave leave that one to be mulled yeah. over and, and spitballed for, for the future. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it just struck me as, as 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 a way to just make a virtue of the virtues and and overlook some of the vices. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, that's we've, another happy accident is, I, I love is happy occurring right here. Too. With you know, just just a, a thought bubble at the end of switch and watch it float away and change the future. Um, we, or just clog up the clog up the itineraries again, which is the other option. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're already yeah. screwed, so bring it on. What what could possibly go wrong? Um, I think we've we've had our allocation of balls for this week. Um, Baz's boys are already up in Manchester for the latest edition of Instagram versus Reality, while the hundred remains on our screens like a cane toad infestation for another week or so. We'll be back to deal with that and everything else that happens in between. Until then, my thanks to Miller and Matt and to you all for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com. Thank you.